Hello and welcome to Rockets Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Micro.blog. I'm Simone DeRochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today as always with Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub, and Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Did I get it right? I think you did. I wasn't reading. Yay! Oh I'm learning, God. learning and growing, learning and growing. By um, episode 500, we're going to have the show unlock. Not neither of you can ever change jobs. <laughs> is the thing I was going to say. That's that's the problem. Well, what what will happen is that you'll change your job and you'll be like, wait, what is my job again? Yeah. That's, Who that's, am that's, I? That, that, that's what am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, we well, have an that, exciting... that was my problem. Yes. Actually, yes. Yeah. Statistically, you are the most likely to change jobs of all of us. Um, and congratulations <laughs> to you for all of those changes. Consistently moving on up in this world. We have an exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about Mastodon and Twitter and the Ooh. word of the day. Spell it out with me, ladies. Engagement. E-N-G-A-G-E-M-E-N-T. <laughs> and then for dessert, we have special guest uh, talking about his new book about the history of keyboards. You can find out all about that in the middle of the show. <laughs> For our premium subscribers, our beloved boosties who support us directly, um, we have a, a booster topic, an extra topic that I don't even really... No I've purposely been ignorant about it because I want Christina to yeah. explain it to me. But I understand I'm it's so deranged. about this. This is it literally is like Christina calling you up and saying, we're going to do something. I can't tell you what it is. So you're excited, but you're also a little scared. That's how I yeah, feel about it. That's how I feel. I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's peak internet <laughs> drama. It involves TikTok, Taylor Swift, the Grammys, and um, uh, someone trying to single white female Taylor Swift. It's really, really good. It's, um, so it's literally it's, a it's, topic it's, that like sprung from your mind almost fully formed 100% and then because I was in Disney and was like completely disengaged I missed all the drama when it happened and so I caught up late but I don't feel like enough I feel like I feel like our our boosties and both of you need to know about this because when I went down the rabbit hole wow so maybe even more so you need to vent to someone I, well, I do, but also I, I I need I need to vent, I need to share, but also like honestly, like, this is peak rocket content. So if you're not a subscriber, you should definitely subscribe. I'm just you saying. can find out more about that at relay.fm/membership. All right, let's start today. So our our main topic of the day is a, a double header. Usually we do two main topics. This one is kind of one, but it's two. Uh, we'll be talking about Twitter. We'll be talking about Mastodon. The Twitter issue specifically, uh, sorry to any Twitter engineers who are listeners of the show. According to the platformer newsletter, yeah, run by Casey (laughs) Newton, at 2.36 a.m. on Monday morning, a very urgent here ping went out in Twitter Slack uh, calling upon Twitter engineers to address a high urgency request from James Musk, Elon Musk's cousin. Uh, The emergency was such was the site on fire uh was i don't know somebody tweeting terrible illegal content uh were all the servers blowing up no um it was that elon musk's tweets about the philadelphia <laughs> eagles were getting less engagement less impressions oh it's so sad than united States president joe biden's a uh, poor one out right now for elon God. musk uh biden's tweet had nearly 29 million impressions elon musk's had <gasps> only 9.1 
million impressions. Oh, it was so upsetting. Platformer goes on to confirm that in uh, asking this issue to be addressed, Musk threatened to fire his remaining engineers unless they fixed the problem that nobody was looking at his tweets. Um, this is part of Musk's latest Eye of Sauron phase uh, in which he goes around focusing on different things that he sees as problems. Right now, engagement is what he considers the most important Twitter metric. Uh, this had previously manifested in a meeting I, where he did end up firing one of his principal engineers who made the mistake of telling him that his tweets weren't getting as much engagement because people were like less interested in him at the moment because he's not been in the news cycle. Unfortunately, we are uh, perpetuating the problem of keeping Elon Musk in the news cycle, but I think it's important and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, employees address the problem, problem in big quotes, by working through the night and finally deploying code that would greenlight all of his tweets, greenlight them basically saying, uh, bypassing the filter that determines like what is the best content that appears in the For You page. Now all of his tweets are the best content that appears oh. on the For You page. Um, I took the opportunity to double check that I, if I had had him blocked or not, I hadn't. So I blocked him. So now I will definitely not see his tweets, which I don't want to. So, okay. So Holy can moly. I just, can I yeah. just say something super quick for Rocket listeners? So this was something I sent yesterday at 5.42 p.m. to our group chat as we were settling up topics. Oh. So, yep. I cannot discuss Elon again. We don't want to be here talking about this. I don't want to talk about this. Can he just stop doing stuff that's so unhinged that we have to cover it? We don't want to be doing this show. We would rather be talking about the 15-inch MacBook Air rumor. That's more interesting to me. Like, Oh, just, just be normal, dude. Do anything. <laughs> go, go make a super yacht. Like, like, like uh, anything else. Yeah. Make the biggest eco yacht in the world. A hundred percent. Uh, my, my, uh, summary is over. So frankly, free for all like th this is, <sighs> this is nuts. This is so dumb. Um, it's just, bonkers. this is so dumb. <laughs> and and, and I, it was funny because I saw like in, in the Verge comments, there was like one person who was sort of being defensive of this and they were like, oh no, you know, really active user wants to like figure out why engagement is, is wonky on his platform using his own account like to test. And, and it's like, okay, if it were anyone else, that would maybe be like a, a viable thing to be like, look, you guys, I'm not saying that I should have more engagement than Biden, but like I probably should because I have more followers and I have more active people. You know what I mean? I tweet more and whatnot. Something's clearly wrong with the algorithm because look, something is clearly wrong with the algorithm. Oh yeah. Um, uh, that that is a fact. It, it, a lot of things have broken. I think what happened is is that they fired almost everybody who knew how Twitter was put together. My yep. my own um, former um, um, uh, uh, tweets have have told me stories about how this you know, a uh, website that we all used for half our lives was held together with, with, you know, like, uh, you know, chewing gum and, and scotch tape. And then you fire all those people, you unplug the data centers and then stuff starts to break. This has been my biggest fear from the beginning. Stuff starts yep. to break and, and it doesn't break all at once because it's so many microservices and it's so much stuff built over time. What you start to see happen is like, things like what happened, you know, uh, I, I guess like, like last week or whatever, where, you know, people couldn't follow and, and couldn't send tweets and had to schedule tweets, you know, for the future to post and, and all kinds of, of dumb stuff or 
the algorithm breaks. And and look, we we've all become accustomed to the algorithm. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit when we talk about Mastodon. But it's just like that's if that was the real reason, if he's like, look, this is an indicator of something being broken, we need to fix it. That would mm-hmm. be one thing. But we know for a fact that's not it. All he cares about is like how much attention he's getting. That's why yep. he put the, the the view counts out oh. in the open. And 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 he's, you know, it, it's becoming increasingly clear. Like it was funny a year ago. It really was. It was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to spend forty five billion dollars to feed his own ego. And now mm-hmm. like it happened. And it's just it's. It's still funny, but it's just also really pathetic. It, it's sad. It's like, like Milf Manor is at least funny, sad, <laughs> entertaining, sad. It, it's totally. like you said, Christine, at the first, um, this was like, wow, that's good to know. You can have billions of dollars in the bank and still have a, a, a yawning emptiness in your a, soul yeah, that can only be you. filled with engagement on Twitter. It was kind of funny, but this is, he's the president. He's the president of the United States, you jack. I'm sorry. And, you know, there, I, I want to really back up something you were saying, Christina, which is the algorithm is definitely broken here. I have noticed, like, my tweets are just as bad as they've always been. <laughs> and the yep. amount of engagement I've had has been wildly inconsistent lately. Like, it's Dang. just it's through the rocket in the like in the last three days. It was like just nothing for two weeks. Whereas, you know, like I've been on Twitter for a decade. I kind of know the, the, the ebbs and flows of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's completely broken, whatever they're doing. So I'm not opposed to them, like trying to figure that out, but it's just, it's so sad. And I love the, the quote in this article talking about how like even the Twitter employees that are left, they don't believe at least some of them that were interviewed, they don't believe that Elon has any like higher principle at heart to, you know, address a free speech thing or anything like that. They feel like it's all about his own ego. Yeah. I mean, this more than anything makes me feel like, uh, like when, when he initially took over Twitter and there was that big, like bong, bong death knell and everyone freaking out. I was like this, like, it's going to be, maybe more broken, but the same, like nothing is meaningfully going to change. I still think that's true, but I do, I think, see more clearly a possible just like deprecation of Twitter on the horizon Mm -hmm. because of issues like this, where like the important things, the important problems the platform has are no longer being addressed in the way that they were before Musk took over, like the issues of content moderation, harassment, et cetera, no longer being addressed. Engagement as an issue, important, but not being addressed in a way that's meaningful for, say, the brands who use it, uh, other power yeah. users who use it. Um, so that's messed up. And then I, I, I honestly can't remember because my memory is effed. But did we talk about the um, the bot, like the bot uh, API? Oh no, we didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about that because it, it's and who knows? I mean, maybe you and Bree. I think it when had I just. On that week, it was but... going to happen the day after we recorded, and we just yeah, missed it. But yeah. obviously, he and we has... don't even know what's going to happen with that. Cause, yeah. Cause, oh yeah, yeah. Because like, oh, they've gone back and forth. They're like, oh, we're going to charge money for the API, and and then bot makers are like, buy bots, and then they're like, oh, well, it'll be really reasonable, only a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which if no you one's, are no one's a random that. person who made the bot that tweets photos of borzoi dogs every day, right? You're not going to pay a hundred dollars for that. You're not making Absolutely money on not. that. But it is something. I, I mean, I think 
we but it, bots, but it provides engagement exactly bots in that form are so important to the lifeblood of a platform because it's something where you know you check in you see something it makes you laugh you retweet it that's it's a it's a good bot not uh, like spam bot it's a good bot that people want to engage with because they like what it is putting out they are a fan right. of whatever it is tweeting uh so he has yeah that just question mark question mark on whether yeah because there, there, well, there, there's been so much pushback on that we don't know how the api changes will be it was, it was yeah. severely ratioed but the twitter dev account tweeted they're like oh we've heard your feedback and we just need a few more days to figure out what we're gonna do and so everybody's just like well we're in a holding pattern but okay. um but, but no but to me kind of with this under you're right like some of the big issues with the platform obviously aren't being addressed but i would go even further think that like i'm not i don't even think that the harassment and in, in, in terms of service that to me to, i don't even care about that so much like the site itself mm-hmm. is breaking like yeah. the site yeah. itself is fundamentally when you can't not working send tweets, so put a, period right 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 <laughs> like 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 when you fundamentally can't use the platform when the the algorithm which however whatever you think of it before is not working the right way when you can't tweet when when things aren't showing up when you're being served stuff that you know makes no sense like to me that's even worse than like oh we've changed our content moderation policies it's like this is now a broken and inconsistently broken website and that mm. to me i think is is going to lead to more people leaving than anything else because it honestly it's worse like if i know that your content moderation policies are awful and that people are going to be toxic i can at least adjust for that but yeah, if i don't even know people if would might... be able to deal with that <laughs> Sure, but 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 I'm just saying, even in general, right? I think that yeah. people can like make those decisions. Like you, you can at least like level set. But if you don't even know, like I don't even know if this tweet's gonna work. I don't yep. even know if anyone's gonna see this. I don't even know if I'm gonna see the stuff that I'm seeing. Then, in, yeah. then to my mind, I'm like, then why am I here, right? Yeah. So I think so, which Elon's I think brings decision, us to our next. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just yeah. gonna say quickly. I think his decision to um, show view counts there has really undermined. Uh, a lot of the myth about large Twitter accounts, right? Like I've got yeah. 150,000 followers. Um, you know, like people often reach out to me to to retweet stuff, right? With the mm-hmm. algorithm right now, I can look there and like have a solid tweet promoting something and 10,000 people are going to see it, which is nothing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's um, and that's not even, like I don't even believe that metric is true because uh, Taylor Lorenz, uh, you know, she did something this week where she, um, you know, basically did a locked account, uh, created an account where no one could see it, and then like looked at what the view counts were, and it was like it was showing a bunch of views when that's literally impossible. So I don't even believe that metric. I really think that right. this this view count has undermined a lot of the arguments that Elon was trying to put forward. That's another. Oh, totally. Whole, I mean, yeah, that's a whole other thing. I was just going to say, if anything, in, in in many ways, by doing that, he completely, I think, effed himself with advertisers because advertisers now actually get to see the impact like of everybody's stuff, yep. right? Like it Ooh, used to be why well, I pay for a promoted tweet. I can see my own thing. But now they're like, oh, I actually know how many views this influencer, whoever I'm paying or whatever I'm I'm doing gets. And and it's like sometimes you don't want that that data out there. Like this is why advertising rates dropped when we started getting metrics. People paid a lot more yeah. for billboards and for magazines and for TV stuff before we had concrete metrics of what people viewed because you always think it's going to be more. Um, but I do think this is a good way to segue into Mastodon because there have been a bunch of articles written in the last couple of weeks about the the, the quote unquote like 
you know, sh- the move to Mastodon being a flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and Brie, you mentioned this on Mastodon that you thought that that, that was like unfair. I do too, but I think yeah. that this is kind of a worthy discussion because obviously when Twitter is breaking, when it's not working for whatever reasons, people are looking to go other places. And my big fear, again, I've said this on the show, you know, for months now, like it, it, there's not going to be like a seamless migration. People are just going to like disparately go places. But Mastodon and, and the Fediverse in general has really been having a moment. And I know like I, when we talk about engagement, my engagement is now about even on Mastodon. In some cases, in some ways, it's better on, on Twitter. And I only have like 12,000 followers on Mastodon and I have hundred and you know 5,000 or whatever on, on Twitter. Well, as we shift into the Mastodon topic, I will tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Micro.blog. Blogging is still the easiest way to share stuff on the web. And Micro.blog is the easiest way to blog. Personal blogging is making a comeback thanks to all this disruption on social media. Have you all heard about this? (laughs) If you have always wanted to build your own place on the internet to keep and share the stuff you love, Micro.blog is for you. Micro.blog is an easy-to-use blogging platform where you can write short or long blog posts. You can share photos and video. You can even host a podcast. But more than a place to post your stuff, it's also a friendly community of people with a wide range of interests who share and comment, perhaps engage (laughs) by a micro.blog social timeline backed by strong community guidelines that are enforced. And because micro.blog is open, you can use your own domain name. You can cross post to Twitter, Tumblr, and Mastodon. You can also follow and be followed by Mastodon users directly with conversations threading across both micro.blog and Mastodon. And finally, you can share your RSS feed so anyone can follow you. Micro.blog is different. There are no ads, and there is no behind-the-scenes algorithm. Algorithm. Changing which posts appear in your timeline. Uh, Christina, I know you've been a, a long-time like, fan of the platform. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, how, how your experience using it has been? Have you had fun? Are you having fun? Fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I originally backed this when it was a Kickstarter and I've actually been thinking about like kind of like reactivating my account to use some of the blogging stuff, especially now that the Mastodon um, integration has really gotten good. And, and Mastodon, uh, blog is part of the, the Fediverse. So it, it uses the activity pub, um, uh, standard, which is really interesting because what I love about this is that not only can you have like a Twitter like experience if you want, but you also have a blog. You can also mm-hmm. have kind of like your own personal photo feed. You can do a lot of different things. You can have, um, and and as, as you mentioned, you can cross post to these other platforms too, but you're controlling it all. You're controlling kind of what people are doing. You can host podcasts. And and I think that that what, what Manton and, and, and Gene, the team there have built with this is, is, you know, and they started doing this a long time ago is kind of showing that like community and, and um, you know, kind of personal ownership, the indie web, if you will, has a real place. And as, you know, if, if you went all in, like Manton went all in on micro.blog a number of years ago. And frankly, like we're all kind of sitting here, all of us who kind of put all our eggs in Twitter's basket are kind of like hey, looking yep. like chumps. And, and so I, I really appreciate um, what, uh, what micro.blog is is doing and and especially the work that they've been continuing to to put into it to to make the the way it works with other federated services better and to really just mm-hmm. be i think like a great place to like you know own your own little part of the web 
once I get back from freaking Italy and have time again, I think the first thing I'm going to do is finally get my Simone de Rochefort domain attached to something like this because I, I've really missed publishing on the web. Just like like you said, your own little corner of the web. It's sounding very nostalgic and nice right now, but this is obviously like tied to something that is you know a, a burgeoning sector, which is the Fediverse and decentralized networks. So super cool. If you are interested, micro.blog hosting starts at $5 per month. Head to micro.blog and sign up for the 30-day free trial. Use the coupon code RELAY, like our network, and you'll get a special deal with your standard subscription. You'll get a premium account at no extra charge. So that's $5 a month for hosting that includes all of their premium features, including podcast hosting, savings, of 50%. That is again micro.blog, 30-day free trial and then the code coupon code relay when you sign up. Thanks to micro.blog for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, I just signed up for that, Brianna Wu. I'm going to I yeah, doing Mastodon was a good call. I think I'm going to try it again. Well, fortunately, you get to talk more about that. So, I'll <laughs> As you said, Christina, uh, you've been seeing a lot of engagement on that platform despite uh, having less followers there than on Twitter. Uh, this month, there were a couple more posts, uh, one from Wired notably about the mass- saying basically the Mastodon bump is now a slump. Uh, according to the Wired piece, uh, M- Mastodon's user base went from 380,000 to over 2.5 million following Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. But that has that number has slowed or dropped, uh, and they set they cite active monthly user count on Mastodon dropping to 1.4 million by late January. That has a uh, that uh, sort of contention that Mastodon is in a slump, though, has been disputed by many people online. Um, Notably, Martin Holland writes on Mastodon uh, that engagement for the social pages pages that he manages was much higher on Mastodon than it was on Twitter, which is why engagement is our word of the day. Um, and My- Mike Masnick over at Tech Dirt also pointed out that the majority the majority of the post Musk growth of Mastodon and the Fediverse in general has stuck. It hasn't dropped back down to pre-Musk numbers or below pre-Musk numbers, it it has stayed quite high, uh, which is a given considering like every time there is mass adoption of a new platform, you will see a large jump in users and then you will see a drop off in users as people just decide, oh, this one isn't for me. It's not a Mastodon specific issue. It's a platform wide issue. Um, He also points out that pre-Musk Twitter had somewhere around 1.3 billion accounts with only 368 million active users per month. So the difference is not that large at all. And engagement, perhaps more important than active users. But that's kind of what we're going to discuss. Uh, And we'll cover, as we uh, mentioned last week, I'm just curious to hear about y'all's experiences with Mastodon, since it has been a while since we talked about your adoption of the platform and how you're using it and how you're enjoying it. Uh, but first, yeah, uh, Brianna, what did you think about these uh, these pieces about the numbers that Mastodon is seeing? Well, you know, obviously, anecdote is not data. Um, I can mm-hmm. say it 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 clearly does not reflect my um, you know, my experience using the platform. Mm-hmm. I think this is what's really important because I think you know we've just been talking about how Twitter's metrics are inherently flawed and don't reflect the value we, Christina, you and I are seeing on the platform. 
I think in the same way, I, I think that looking at a raw number about the the people that are sticking around on Mastodon is a fundamentally flawed metric of how to look at the service. Because a real a real survey of it that's asking questions like, are you enjoying the conversation? Are your posts getting engagement? Is this a positive experience, right? Are you meeting people that you feel a connection with? For me, the answer to all of those is yes, 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 yes. And it's so much better than Twitter is, right? I have yet to get a single mean comment over there on Mastodon, right? Mm -hmm. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and that's like, it doesn't harm my mental health in the same way Twitter does. So I, I imagine some of that is just the, the nature of the people over that. It's also a less political conversation and it's more, um, you know, it's more tech focused, but I, I feel like that metric does not reflect the value that it's bringing and the connection that I personally feel over there. And, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, I've got 150,000 on Twitter. I've got 15,000 on Mastodon. The engagement's greater on Mastodon. It's much greater. So, you know, I, I just feel like it's not reflecting that. Remember when both of you first signed up for Mastodon, there was, uh, the conversation we had was about like the confusion of, okay, like, where do I set up my main? Right interactions mm-hmm. like which which instance am i using how what are the rules of this instance who is managing it uh there are all these like kind of complicated interpersonal questions to answer and decisions to make has that experience changed at all from uh when you started using the platform to now and um what do you yes i yeah, think it it's a flaw well the thing is it doesn't really matter i think for people like me with enough of um I mean, I, I know it sounds cocky, but, you know, I, I have a bit of a name, right? Like there's a certain number of people that if they see my name, they're going to hit follow, right? And that's going to, they're going to do that across instances. So I think for larger, for larger users, it doesn't really matter if you sign up for the Twit instance of this versus yeah. the main Mastodon instance of it. Um, it. It just doesn't seem to have affected my 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 experience with it so i think that like it is a bad onboarding process because it's asking you to make a decision it's just been my experience that that decision impacts very little of what happens next if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah and and i i think that that's been a similar thing um for for me as well um i with i wasn't on to my knowledge any suggested user list or anything but just from people using importing tools and other stuff, like I, you know, was able to immediately have like, you know, more than 10,000 followers basically on, on Mastodon. Um, and I follow now a few hundred people. I immediately started finding people across instances based on posts that I put out there that I could follow. I will say discovery is not great. Um, yeah. and, and I, I do still think that like, I'm, I, I think that like medium is, is, um, uh, they, it's a private testing, like they have their own instance, you know, Tumblr has been talking about joining like, like, you know, activity pub, and maybe they would have some sort of thing. There are, there are services like, like micro.blog, which can federate to Mastodon, where if you want maybe to have a, a better onboarding and community experience, um, you can go, that I think is still a problem. There are some specific servers that I, seem to be run better and whatnot. I do think that's a problem. I, I also will say for me, the, the biggest thing I miss is memes and pop culture and, you know, like, like, like yeah. film Twitter, that stuff's just not there. Um, and it not, not even to get into the, the dramatics of the search 
stuff of it all, <laughs> which, which is political and, and stupid. That said, what has changed for me and what really did kind of make me kind of go up and go, all right, I am going to, uh, you know, give this more concentrated effort was the fact that, you know, when third party Twitter clients died and I started seeing a lot of my Twitter friends, it, it was a combination of both that and frankly, not even seeing my friends that I followed on Twitter anymore. And I was like, yeah, I don't yeah. even see their content anymore. And so I was like, maybe I should actually try to use this other thing and I'm going to use it the way I want to use it. And I'm going to do my best to not try to get overly involved in, in the political infighting that is happening within, you know, the, the, the Mastodon, you know, Fediverse universe. Cause frankly, I don't care. And, and there, I, I will say like, I haven't had any overtly negative experiences. Do you know people who have? And I do yeah. know people who like felt like like uh, like our, our friend uh, Casey Liss. You know, he mentioned this on 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 Analog, like that it isn't hasn't been a, a, as good of a, a place for him. And and he was kind of blaming himself, being like, "Oh, maybe I was naive." No, I, I don't think you're being naive. I don't think anybody should expect people to be jerks online. Um, I expect it because I'm a broken person who was <laughs> raised in the depths of of the of the internet. Uh, but but I, I don't think that other people should expect that. But I, I do I do want to caution people who join a service like this. It's not immediately going to be like, oh, like bunnies and roses. Like it it is still a social platform, it's still the internet at the end of the day. But you know, it is there are more tools available for you to kind of keep in what you don't want to keep in and keep out what you don't. But it does take more work. So I I think what's improved it a lot, though, for me has been the fact that we now have a lot more third-party clients on on iOS that are really good. There's some that are in beta on Mac. Um, Elk.zone, which I've mentioned before, is a a superior web interface. So if you are somebody who does not like the the Mastodon website because it's terrible, Elk.zone is fantastic. And, uh, And that, to me, has been the biggest change. Having just good apps, it's like it was almost like a night and day difference for me. Yeah. So you mentioned that you like the film community, film Twitter community, you haven't seen migrate to Mastodon. They're not there. What kind of uh, communities are you interacting with and engaging with uh, on the platform? Oh, it's, 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 it's like for me anyway, it's like Mac Twitter all over again. It's like 100%. Apple Twitter circa like yep. 2008. Um, it, and it really does remind me of like the early days of, of, of Twitter in that regard. And you do see a lot of like, there's a, a strong infosec community. There's, Hackyderm.io um, that uh, uh, one of my, my, my GitHub coworkers um, maintains has a lot of tech people. Um, so it is still very largely, I think, tech-centric. Um, I hope that changes. But right now, that is at least my experience. And there could be other corners of it that are different. Mm-hmm. But, but at least for me so far, like that's the really big thing. I've gotten a lot of engagement on just normie democratic stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just general stuff talking about, you know, that's that's friendly to the Biden administration, you know, like that kind of normie democratic stuff is is generally fine or, or more mild statements on, you know, LGBT issues. Um, I, I think that community came over. I, I think there's a, a culture there of, of, of trigger warnings for any kind of political content yeah. that I don't even want to get into. Um, <laughs> I, I do also want to say there was a story that came out this week that um, it really, I don't want to say it bothered me, but it did give me concerns about the long-term health of the the service. Basically this, uh, you know, Hogwarts legacy boycott that's coming on, it, it blew to a head. And uh, one of the instances, I think it was LGBT.lol, um, if I'm remembering correctly, shut down over this oh, because wow. it got 
frankly, the, the, the leader of it didn't like the, the messages he was hearing, encouraging him to, uh, to boycott a game. Right. And he really, really got upset and shut down the Mastodon instance. So um, I'm not taking a position on pro or con on that. I'm saying there is a there's a an instability if you're choosing to make your home there. Akin it, to like Reddit mods being like, right, screw yes. this. I'm done for the day. We're shutting it. We're locking it. And you can one hundred percent. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you, you can, but they, they, they need to give you the opportunity to part of one of the agreements that, that allegedly like p- people do, and there's nothing really that's going to enforce anyone on this is that if you are going to shut down, you're supposed to give a certain amount of time for people to move on and off and whatnot. I'm on the Mastodon.social, which is like the main big instance. And I also was at one point I was on XOXO.zone. Um, I migrated my XOXO.zone thing to the Mastodon.social just so I only had one account. And, um, I, I, what I will probably wind up doing is moving to something that I maintain that is like my own thing because then you're in charge. Yeah. Right. It, it, it exactly. And it would be like a a hosted thing. Like I'm not going to, I don't, I don't have any interest in in keeping the server up to date and all that stuff, but like I I would want something that would be kind of under my purview. And the reason being, I don't want to have to be beholden to any of the rules Yep. of any of that stuff. Yep. Uh, I might even use micro.blog, right? Like it, it, it so, cause I don't want to have to like be worried about, okay, my politics and the politics of the, of the, you know, server admin differ because I don't freaking care. So in, in most cases, right? Like I, I understand their whole policy around content warnings. I personally don't believe in content warnings I in agree. almost all cases. So, which I, I know not everybody agrees with that. That's fine. But like, I'm not going to take on that social construct. I'm just not. You're not um, alone on that. I strongly me, agree. <laughs> if you if you don't want to follow me because I'm not going to follow that social construct, that is completely fine. But I'm not going to adopt that, right? And so for me, that that I think that does kind of highlight kind of one of the both the upsides and the downsides of this sort of thing, which is it's open. You can do whatever you want, but you are also ultimately dependent on you know the purview of someone right unless you're mm-hmm. unless you're taking it in your own hands unless you're you know kind of taking the onus on yourself there are going to be you know somebody at the end of the day is still in charge so there there are downsides to everything but um at least you can make that choice and at least you can control your own destiny about where you want to be and what you want Destiny. to be on. You know what we should do? We should start a just a, a rocket Mastodon instance, which just I'll split the costs with you, Christina. We and then we don't have to stress there. it 100%. Yeah, honestly, that would be a bad idea. That yeah. wouldn't be a bad idea at all. Um, and that way, Simone could easily have an account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any final thoughts for like any, it, what would you, what's the most important thing that you'd say, I guess, besides control your own destiny, which seems pretty important to anyone who's interested in getting started on Mastodon? Something you said, I, was it you, Christian, earlier in the show? Like, we all look like fools for putting all of our social media eggs in yes. the Twitter basket. Dead effing on. I made a mistake. Um, you know, so my my message out there for listeners is, I think Mastodon is worth your time. It sounds like microblog is a good way to facilitate that. This is worth your time, right? Mm-hmm. Have a backup plan um, because you know, for me, just speaking honestly, I'm not saying I'm not still on Twitter. I am, but it's it's the engagement is falling apart. 
And I do think the writing is on the wall for how long this is going to last. Like, it's not the experience it was a year ago. Have a backup plan. Start moving your home somewhere else and migrating those relationships over. I think this is really yep. well worth your time. Um, you know, don't don't count on Elon Musk. No, no. I, I and, and I would also just say, like, yeah, it, to your point on that, I would also just say don't expect things to be identical if you want to move over. But also, like... I do think that ultimately this technology is probably going to be really successful. I yeah. think that whoever is able to make it easy to onboard and frankly centralize it, which is, you know, just like Coinbase and and and, and Binance and all those things that centralized crypto is what made crypto a real thing. I think the centralization of the, of, of the it's what's going to make it actually take off, but I think that the advantage will be it when that happens you know, um, and I think that's what will get more people to use it. But also when that happens, because it's using open protocols, that will at least give us more autonomy over our data, which which is yeah. important. All right. Let's move into today's dessert. All right. We have a very exciting guest today for our show. I'd like to welcome Martian Viharu, who has a book coming up called Shift Happens. Uh, Martian is a design manager at Figma, designer at Medium and Google, uh, with an impressive rest of the resume as well, (laughs) volunteer at the Computer History Museum, um, and fan of the film Sneakers. Is that a film? Yes. You don't know Sneakers? Oh I don't, I'm so sorry. Oh Every week I disappoint you. you Every do. week I a fail you in some to shame way. Simone over. I am pumped <laughs> but, about this. I'll add it to the list. But this one's oh, actually really disappointing. It's it's it, oh. and I say this sincerely, Simone. Like genuinely, this is the best like <laughs> hacker movie ever. Like it's one of the only good ones that actually captures like computer better than stuff hackers. Oh, hackers no. is a terrible movie. First of all. Hackers is an awful movie. We love it because of the memes. What if you memes. watched it when you were a teenager and yes, it was sexy? Which, well, no, we love <laughs> but Listen, we don't like the... Hang the, on. Yeah. Well, let's let Marchin, uh, Marchin <laughs> what, say hello. <laughs> we will share Simone us- adequately for this at yes, a future sorry, date. Sorry. Um, we will contain ourselves. We'll this is a whole yes. episode devoted to it. I but but Sneakers is how Marchin and I met. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 sort of like it's funny because it's it's probably like one of the best movies nobody has ever seen because it is a little bit um, out there. But it's it's I, I think it's funny because it is you know it is ostensibly a movie about hackers and it's ostensibly about technology, but it really is just like a good, really good, hardworking like sort of warm movie about people, and it's just really well made. Like and it's and it's sort of light in some ways and serious in some other ways and and you can sort of appreciate it in many different levels. It has sort of beautiful music by James Horner. It's it's just the cast is amazing. Um, yes. And to me, you know, I've I've I, I still remember when it came out in 1992. I watched it at the at the cinema and it's just kind of like a like a nice warm sweater. Like you can <laughs> it's eminently rewatchable and I think it's aged pretty well. You know, maybe yeah. wouldn't pass like Bechdel test necessarily. But it's like not, I don't think it's like problematic in any obvious ways. And it's just like kind of nice. It sounds cool. lovely. Yeah. And I, I think unexpected. I didn't expect you to describe a movie about hackers, I guess, in yeah, that way, it, like warm and about it's family. It's more similar to war games, it, I would say, just because okay. it's yeah, of that so, era. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same people. It's Can actually we? the same people who wrote war games. And then they spent like nine oh. years fine tuning the script for sneakers, which you can tell because it's really tight and good. <laughs> Amazing. River Phoenix. It's it's great. Oh, River Phoenix. Speaking of things that may or may not be tight and good, uh, but are definitely good. Your book, Shift Happens. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so this is the history, the whole history of keyboards is my understanding. Can you tell me, tell me, give me your uh, elevator pitch <laughs> for the book, Shift Happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of maybe the whole history in the chronological sense, but I think it's it's funny that we started talking about sneakers because it maybe aspires to occupy a similar space in that it's it's a human history and it's it's trying not to be like very pretentious. It's definitely nerdy and it definitely goes places. It's it's twelve hundred pages. It's it's thirteen hundred <laughs> photos. It's 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 kind of intense, Ooh. but hopefully in like a good nerdy way where you're just like, oh, I didn't realize there's so much about keyboards and so many interesting human stories, so many interesting like side journeys. And it's it is it is almost exactly 150 years since the first QWERTY keyboard, and wow. and to me it's been kind of amazing how like the keyboard change a lot obviously there's you know it used to be attached to typewriters and now it's not now it's like pixels on under our thumbs um but also like didn't even change that much because it's still qwerty you could get the person who invented it move them in time 150 years and they would know what to do which is kind of interesting and amazing how many of those pages are going after the Apple keyboard that everyone hates? <laughs> is that like a, like a thousand of the pages? And then you've got like a chapter on, uh, you know, mechanical the butterfly switches. Switch. <laughs> so, so here's the funny thing. I actually don't speak too much about the butterfly keyboard, partly Ooh. because maybe it's just too new. You know, it's just happening. Mm-hmm. Who knows? What if Tim Cooks go on stage like next week and say, I apologize, everybody's getting, it's not going to happen. But, you know, maybe it's still a story in progress. Uh, but also, like, here's the funny thing that I learned. Like, Apple keyboards are really not that interesting. In the grand scheme of things, Apple is actually really boring when it comes to keyboard. And if it's yeah. not boring, it's for all the wrong reasons, as, as we learned in the last few years. Uh, I think that the really one interesting Apple keyboard uh, was the adjustable. It was the split, strange keyboard in the mid-90s. Mm. And the one mm-hmm. keyboard that everybody loves, which is the Apple Extended, you know, from 1987, 1990, is the most PC keyboard. It literally has yeah, PC labels. Yeah, it's a labels. Model M, right? Yeah. It's, it's basically just a, a Model M, right? Like, Yeah, it's a photocopy of Model M. It's kind of ridiculous how like it's the least Apple keyboard of all time and it's the most beloved by Apple people. But there's, there's some interesting sort of irony wow. in that. Do you have, like in, in all the research that you did, is there a favorite era of keyboards that you liked learning about or telling people about? Yeah, I think for me, like a lot of the a lot of the theme of the book was sort of like the in-betweeners, the transitional products. And I think like, not to kind of make it too personal, but I, like, I'm like i a designer that's trying to be an engineer or maybe an engineer that's trying mm-hmm. to be a designer. And sort of like in-between is like, it's always like an interesting space to me, you know, and people who kind of connect things or products that connect things. And, and so there's this whole era in between typewriters and computers where like the most interesting things are happening. And we just sort of ignore it because we moved on it's not appreciated, you know. It's it's there's a there's a typewriter, for example, in 1973, that's called IBM Collect uh, Correcting Selectric, and it has a functioning backspace key that actually removes things on paper. Like it's what? really possible to remove what? something you typed, and it does so. And they they invented a, like a new kind of tape or a film that actually you can lift, and there's this whole. It's all electromechanical, just no electronics in it. And it does the same thing as your backspace on your computer. And so that sort of time where, you know, you, you kind of want something that technology doesn't yet allow you to do, but you still push for it. That I think yeah. is like some of the most interesting spaces. So I'm going to say like the 60s, 70s, and maybe early 80s, it's 
maybe the least beloved typewriters in many ways, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also sometimes the most interesting because they, they exist in this sort of penumbra between those two very obvious stages. So I've always wanted to ask a mechanical keyboard person this question, okay? And mm-hmm. try to keep this confined. Like, this isn't like <laughs> Simone asking, should I play Link to the Past? You know, um, Obviously. <laughs> but, okay, so I, I am one of these people that, that just uses the default Apple keyboard, right? Because Touch mm-hmm. ID, just the the quickness yeah. of that, it is, I don't care that much. And I feel like it, it seems to me that I'm missing something because everyone I know in this space seems to love it. So if you were trying to pitch me for someone who is mechanical keyboard curious, how uh-huh. how would you, what, am, what in your view am I missing <laughs> on that? So I have two answers and, and they might not be satisfactory, but one is, um, you might be perfectly fine and not missing anything. Like, I, I think what we learned over the last hundred years is that keyboards used to be like incredibly professional tools, right? You, we were, you, were, you had to learn for months, if not years, on how to type and you had to touch type. And obviously you couldn't make a mistake because there was no functioning backspace. And, and you would type for 10 hours a day. Uh, you would probably retype a lot, not just type, just retype. Um, and we moved from that, right? Today we use keyboards for chatting, for very different things. Uh, even people who use them professionally, like, I don't know, programmers maybe, right? Um, the keyboards are so much more pleasant and ergonomic, even if you choose the cheapest keyboard ever, right? It's going to be lighter in your fingers. And and in that way, maybe QWERTY is good enough. And so, like, you know, in a way, like, you're not doing anything wrong. All of those keyboards are fine. Um, now, if you want to be interested in mechanical keyboards, what I really like about mechanical keyboards and the community is that there's so many ways to engage. And it could be, you know, you like a really nice touch and feel of a keyboard under your fingertips, which is actually kind of amazing, right? Like how much it can change the way um, you enjoy typing. But it would also be like a means of self-expression, right? Maybe you like a particular color, or I have these keycaps that harken back to the era we just talked about, which is the 1970s, because it just means something to me. And I don't have labels because it just makes me feel badass. I don't, there's no <laughs> other reason um, like this color, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe you like nerding out on software. You can engage with like writing drivers or, or maybe you, you want to engage mathematically, like coming, trying to come up with a better layout, which in a way is probably futile because QWERTY has been around for so long. It's probably going to be around for 150 years more. But also it doesn't matter if you just, you can do it one for yourself because that's what keyboards allow you to do. Or maybe you just like the community. You just like hanging out with other people and see what excites them. There are all of these meetups and stuff. So I think there's, that's what's interesting to me. Or you can maybe resurrect a keyboard you liked from the 1980s through reverse engineering the protocol, right? Ooh, I like that idea. (laughs) You know, or so, 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 so there's so many ways to, to do this and, and there are no wrong answers, I think. 100%. Yeah, that was actually kind of what got me into finally building my first mechanical keyboard, thanks to um, our very own Charles Tan um, during the pandemic, was the whole like customization aspect. um, And it was something to do, um, but but it really was kind of that like, you know, I've always been a big fan of keyboards and I've bought some that had certain uh, like switch types, but I wasn't really that into it. And then the customization, as you mentioned, and kind of the community pulled me in. I did want to ask you though, um, I know you started working on this book in, in 2017 um, and, and you did all this exhaustive research. Had you, I, I guess, um, anticipated um, or, or were you propelled at all, like while you were doing research by the 
massive, like, you know, kind of resurgence in the <laughs> hobby, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, amongst like, like people like normies like me, you know, and, and people who like suddenly it went from this very small kind of community meetup thing and really niche thing to being like, you know, these ridiculous wait times for, for keys and, and for switches and, and massive group buys and like big YouTube channels and stuff. Did that impact anything? Like when you were doing the, 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 the research and the writing on your book? Um, because I can't imagine that you've anticipated any of that yeah. happening. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when I started, it was already sort of on a little bit of an upswing, you know, because I, sure. I, like one of the first things I did was, start meeting some of the people in the community. Um, and this was, this was already, you know, the era of the early group buys and, and some meetups. And, and that was really interesting. And honestly, uh, I, I devoted much more room in a book because of that. Uh, there are chapters about the community of people and, and some of the things we just talked about. But there are also chapters about, you know, people who really love switches and hopefully they're not like, I try not to like go very technical, but just tell stories of really interesting people who really love switches, right? For whatever reason. Your enthusiasm reason. Like, is so yeah. infectious, I, I have know. to say. Like you you really love this. Yeah. I mean, there's, so for example, like one person who, actually more than one person now, but when I was writing, like one person who like built this whole device that I, I, I call the mechanical finger, but basically just presses every key that they have very slowly and draws a chart. And, and then other people use those charts to sort of analyze keys. And, and so there's, there's this whole era of, of people who document things, right? So, so, so it definitely influenced a lot. And um, a lot of those people actually go into history as well, right? A lot of those people research the history of mechanical keyboards, which is actually, you know, goes back all the way to 1950s when the first computers came around. And, uh, but in a way, it's also kind of frightening to me because my book gets obsolete by a week, you know? <laughs> like, there's <laughs> right. so many new things happening. Yeah. There's so many. So that's a little bit scary for, you know, I'm not worried about the history because obviously there will be new things that I will learn about the history. Probably af right after the book comes out, some people will contact me and say, hey, did you know of this? I'm like, oh, I didn't. But it's also like the present is really interesting because there's so much going on and 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 so many kind of exciting things. Yeah. What are, what is the community like? Because I would imagine if I were like writing a book about classic 911s and I got a mistake wrong, like a fact <laughs> wrong, I would imagine I would get like my inbox would just be yeah. nasty people like the G50 transmission actually came. <laughs> like what? What is the so you're talking about the community? What are they like? What what are the common like if you're pitching to me, come on, yeah. great, come join the, the mechanical keyboard community. What what am I in for, do you think? Yeah, so I think you know, as always, and I see it both in the mechanical keyboard community and the typewriter community, which is they're, they're pretty independent. So you know, there are nooks and crannies. There are some there are some moments that are like sometimes harder. Like there are people who are really obsessive and as you said, like really intense. And I've had it too. I had like a I had a little, not even a typo, but a creative choice oh, no. in a, one of the screenshots on the Kickstarter and somebody caught it. And like, this is not a 75% keyboard, this is a 65% keyboard. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like both fine and also like maybe not as relevant in the context of the book. So I think. They're, right. they're nooks and crannies, right? And, and so mm. I, I, for example, and this was very important for me uh, to capture the people who try to make this community more accessible, especially like to people who don't look like me, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's, there's uh, Cassidy Williams. There's, there's, there's a bunch of people who say like, hey, you know, like 
the traditional understanding of mechanical keyboards is programmers and like kind of hardcore gaming with this, you know, black and red angular shapes. But there's a lot of people who actually say like, well, what if it's not? Like, mm. what if it's uh, pastel colors? What if it's uh, inspired by Scrabble? What if it's like much more casual or maybe much more like nerdy in ways that is resonates with more people? So, mm-hmm. I, so I also try to capture that. And, and so I think like you can probably search and find a place that will, will like become you and, and resonate along the same wavelength that you are rather than like sort of put you in this position where it's like, oh, we have to like nerd out on all of this like details, which I sometimes really appreciate, but it can be intimidating or off-putting or maybe gatekeeping even in a way. I was just going to say that kind of misses the point of, 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 I think, like the history of keyboards, which is that, at least to me, like is this big unifying thing. Like that's why it's persisted for 150 years. Yeah. So for example, like in, in, in a cha- I have a chapter that's ostensibly about like programmers and pro gamers, you know, like people who use keyboards professionally today, mm-hmm. like professionally in, in some way. There are, of course, you know, stenotypists and there's, of course, key data entry people, but I think programmers and programmers, but I started this chapter by talking about like Lenore Fenton, who used to be this incredible, you could look her up on YouTube, there are some videos, used to be this incredible typist. Uh, there are instructional videos from U.S. Navy with her typing. And it's just like so impressive how like... So she was like the example that they used to show people like yeah, this is how you can type. You know, and it's just like, you, you know, you, 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 uh, Mavis Beacon was, some, you know, another fictional yes, example, yeah. right? So they're yes, just like... Loved her. I think keyboards have always been more um, and, and it's it's sometimes... And I really like, again, yeah, I'm really excited when people try to sort of push at the edges of and say like, hey, this community can be for more people. Let's not like narrow it down to kind of this, maybe the stereotypes of what a programmer is or a pro gamer is. Well, how can people find out more about your book? Where can they perhaps go to support it? Yeah, so um, so I think them either search for it on Kickstarter, which is still happening right now, uh, and it's funded. So the book is definitely going to happen, but you know, you can still jump and order a copy. Or if you like fun websites, there's a website called shifthappens.site. And I was actually like, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Uh, there's some interactive things and I'm actually going to add even more. So I was, Ooh. you know, I was trying to make this like kind of enjoyable. They're actually like keyboard related activities as you can imagine. So, so yeah, those are the two places just Basically, search for Shift Happens book. I'm buying it right now. I'm Congratulations, you. by the Thank way, you. on being the number three nonfiction book on three. Kickstarter. That's yeah. really cool. Gunning for number two. Oh, yeah. Who's number two? We'll, you got, we'll take you them got out. time. You can get there, I think. <laughs> the number one and number two are actually really cool, and I kind of want to wanna buy them as well. <laughs> it's a fun list to be in, but yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Martian. Uh, do you want people to follow you anywhere on Twitter, on Mastodon, perhaps? Yeah, I, I probably mustered on more than Twitter these days for obvious reasons. But we I'm talked on... about that earlier in the show. <laughs> for <Yeah>. good reason. <laughs> yep. Unless I get a 1,000 multiplier. Um, no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm on Mastodon. I'm also on Twitter, but probably will shift all the way to Mastodon in the near future. I've got those links in the show notes uh, if anyone wants them. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I love your enthusiasm, and you've made me really excited about this book, and I hope that other people feel that way too. Thanks for yes. having me on. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you. Yay. Yay. 
Okay, what are we up to this week? Uh, Brianna, let's start with you. Oh my god. So I, believe it or not, the streamer Destiny, um, I finally, everybody's been telling me to go debate him. Um, and I did on Sunday. Oh my god. Um, everybody was thinking this was going to be an S show. Um, it was not. It was uh, extremely productive. Uh, DGG itself gave me rave reviews for this. Um, so um, it was a really, really good conversation, which was on uh, progressivism and what the biggest threat is. Wow. Um, yeah, I took the view that it's we're we're not serious enough about real world power and getting involved in electorism, and uh, it it really turned out to be a very productive uh, conversation. So go over there and look at that. And um, let's see, this week I am uh, today. After Rocket, I am having a debate with one of the most infamous people on the internet to say terrible things about consent. So I am spending more time debating the the worst people online. So amazing, Christina. What about you? What are you up to? I, I'm just chilling. I'm just doing you know work stuff, nerd stuff, um, and uh, I I'm uh, not doing anything nearly as fun as what you're doing. So let's just get on to what you're doing this week because that's honestly the the most exciting part. I'm going to Venice, baby. <laughs> Literally, as soon as we wrap Woo! recording, I'm going to the airport. I'm going to Carnival. Um, I have, I'm going to dress up in silly little 18th and 19th century outfits. And I'm going to drink Prosecco uh, in Palazzo's in Venice during Carnival. Yes. I did a poll on Twitter because people kept asking me. People, The two responses I got were like, A, what's Carnival? B, oh, are you going to Brazil? Uh, I had not realized, I think just because I lived in Europe for a couple of years that I guess Carnival or maybe I don't know maybe people didn't read about this when they were kids because of the cool outfits and the masks and stuff um Carnival the pre-Lenten festival uh kind of became a big deal in in Venice um and they have that mask culture because of the whole plague I will not be wearing masks that's not what this crowd that I'm going with does but I will be wearing ridiculous beautiful dresses um and if you'd like to see them I'm going to be posting pictures on Instagram at Doom Quasar. Um, and I'm so freaking excited. Okay. Yay! That's amazing. Uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me being jealous of Simone's trip. I had Brianna Wu mm-hmm. on Twitter. And uh, we need to talk to Mike and get our Mastodons linked in the uh, show notes permanently. So I will, we'll, we'll make sure that happens. Give them to me and I'll put them in the show I notes. We'll do that. And Look then, down yeah. the show notes. Follow me on Mastodon. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Christina, what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on Twitter at film underscore girl at mastodon.social. And uh, you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash github. Amazing. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you're a boosty, you're about to hear a completely (gasps) unhinged bonus segment. Uh, Thank you so much. And uh, everyone else, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, I hope that you will leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Consider consider giving us a good old five-star review. It's a wonderful thing to do. And have a great week, everybody. (laughs) Arrivederci. Stupid. (laughs) This episode of Rocket is terminated. (laughs) Terminated. Terminated.